the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the second hour. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Peter Boyles until 10 o'clock this morning. News Talk 710-KNUS. Last week. Boy, this was interesting. The nomination proceedings took place in the Senate Judiciary Committee for President Biden's appointment nomination to nominee to the U.S. Supreme Court to replace retiring Justice Breyer, Katanji Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, whose experience particularly has been on the trial court. And it was fascinating to see some of the interplay, the back and forth among the United States senators, and also how different it is from the confirmation hearings we heard during the Trump administration for now Justices Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett. Here's one little taste of the discussion when it comes to abortion. Not a hot bun at all. Senator... Um, abortion is a right that the Supreme Court has recognized um, in the um, is one of the kinds of rights that is an unenumerated. Okay. Um, it is in that same category of rights that uh, the Supreme Court has recognized. Uh, but with- the text of the Constitution does not mention abortion. That is true. What went on last week? How should we interpret it? And how about the nominee herself, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson? Let's go to the bayou, where I am very pleased to be joined today by Judge Ken Starr, who himself served on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. He also was a solicitor general. And of course, you know him as the independent counsel during the Whitewater investigation under and into President Bill Clinton, also author of several books, including most recently, Religious Liberty in Crisis, Exercising Your Faith in an Age of Uncertainty, a fantastic read, by the way. Judge Ken Starr, good morning. Welcome back to 710KNUS. Hey, it's so good to be with you, Jimmy. Uh, All the best, and yes, and thanks for mentioning the book. Oh, absolutely. It really is one of those reads that folks who are if you are trying to understand what's happening right now with religious liberty and also how you can look to the Supreme Court as a bulwark for religious liberty as it is now. Definitely one to check out again, religious liberty in crisis. Uh, I know that you've been paying close attention to the nomination of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. The proceedings last week were quite interesting because they covered a lot of ground. And as they said, different from tone and tenor during the Trump administration. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about your overall thoughts and who this appointee, this nominee is. Yes. Well, Jimmy, I think there are three dimensions uh, to what we saw. uh, And I was able to 
happily uh, watch a good deal of most of uh, the, the hearings. Uh, and I would say the first dimension was her personal story. And that was very winsome, and she put it in a very moving way. Her family, uh, going as a public high school graduate from Miami, Florida, to Harvard, and, of course, excelling. <clears throat> Uh, and that's uh, uh, paying tribute to law enforcement officers and her family, her brother, her uncle, and so forth. That was really very, very winsome. The second uh, uh, dimension, uh, Jimmy, I think had to do with what we could just call the culture wars. The questions, and they were very pointed questions from several of the senators uh, with respect to her rulings, her sentences in particular, in child pornography cases. Is she soft on crime? Generally, is she soft <clears throat> on child pornography cases? Uh, and that got a lot of, uh, of fireworks, certainly a lot of attention. And then, of course, dramatically, and this continues to uh, reverberate in the, in the conversation, uh, her response to uh, the question, what is a woman? And what does that, who cares? Well, it may be in the minds of some of the senators an insight into her thinking, right? If she cannot come forward with a definition since women are protected under Title IX and so forth, it struck me as a certainly relevant question. But the third, and I think the enduringly significant dimension, uh, is well, what is her philosophy about the Constitution? Jimmy, we heard very little about that. We heard a little but very little about that, and we heard much more about how she goes about her work as a judge, but what she described, and you uh, suggested this in your comments, her work as a trial judge. Well, needless to say, she's going to be an interpreter of the Constitution. We really need to know as much as we possibly can about how does she view the Constitution of the United States. What's her philosophy about that? I think that's such an important point because she doesn't have a track record in any way, shape or form, Judge Starr, that really gives us insight into that judicial philosophy. And the role of the Supreme Court is fundamentally different from any other court in the land, even, say, an appeals court, because you actually have decisions that the court makes, that the Supreme Court makes, that then direct all inferior courts, federal courts across the country, and has impacts on state courts as well. Yes. Uh, the late Justice Jackson put it very well in terms of the power of the court. We are final not because we are infallible. And this is tongue-in-cheek. We're infallible because we're final. Well, of course, the court is fallible, and it has overruled its own decisions any number of times. But the point that Justice Jackson is making, the stakes are very high because when the justices interpret the Constitution of the United States, it binds all of us for better or for worse. We just heard a moment ago a clip that I played where Judge Jackson didn't seem to be able to reflect what Roe versus Wade actually says as far as the notion of a right to an abortion and how that is concluded. She also couldn't define viability. I want to play this clip and then explain why I'm bringing this up and get your reaction. Sir. What does viability mean when it comes to an unborn child in your understanding? Senator, I hesitate to speculate. I don't. I know that it is a point in time that the court has identified in terms of uh, when uh, 
the standards that apply to regulation of the right. I know, Judge Ken Starr, that no Supreme Court nominee is going to come before the court and say, this is my singular position on Roe versus Wade. But she seemed to show a lack of knowledge in that landmark case and a couple of subsequent rulings by the court, such as the Casey decision in the 90s, that to me represented or reflected that maybe she doesn't have that depth and breadth of understanding of constitutional law that gets at the judicial philosophy point that you're pointing to. Well, I think that's a fair point, and it's a fair reading of uh, some of her testimony, including what you just played. The stakes are so high, and every vote on the Supreme Court with nine justices is a vitally important vote. So I think it's entirely not only appropriate, but very important for the senators and the advice and consent function to have confidence that this person is grounded in the Constitution and understands the Constitution. Now, in fairness, she should not have had occasion, would not have had occasion to wrestle with every aspect of constitutional law. But certainly when we're talking about the right of abortion, I think your comment is is fair, that we could have expected a bit more precision, more of a signal that she understood the links and breadths of uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey and, of course, where it all began with Roe v. Wade. Again, we're talking with Judge Ken Starr, who served on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals from 1983 to 1989 when he stepped up to become a solicitor general under President George H.W. Bush. One issue that has really been so striking as far as discussion on the left lately, sir, has been the notion of packing the Supreme Court. And I was struck by a couple of little clips here that I've got for you where she was unwilling to even take a position which past Supreme Court justices, including, for example, the late Justice Ginsburg, have been very apt to take a position on. I haven't really thought about it, but I hear the arguments on both sides, and I understand it to be a political issue. I am particularly mindful of of not speaking to policy issues because I am so committed to staying in my lane of... The system is packing the Supreme Court uh, simply a policy issue for Congress, or is it something as an institution for the Supreme Court to to be to exist that a justice on the court or a potential justice on the court should have a little more concern about than oh, this is just up to Congress? Yes, <clears throat> I can understand why she was uh, cautious on this and staying in her lane. It's a policy question. That's for you senator and for the House of Representatives, the president, in the process of making law since packing the court is ultimately a political decision governed by Congress and the president and not the Constitution. Uh, Now, in fairness to her, uh, Judge Barrett, now Justice Barrett, would not opine either Mm, on that subject. So it's the more cautious. I would say this was a bully opportunity. It's a bully pulpit to stand up and really defend the integrity of the Supreme Court, that it has worked, the size has worked since 1869, and to at least nod in the direction of stability and that the court is getting its work done. It's not as if there's this huge backlog that exists in many courts, right, certainly in other countries. 
it may take years before a case pending before the highest court in the land gets heard and resolved. Not true here. The court has chosen and proven time and time again it can get things decided in a rocket docket fast track. So there's no reason uh, other than philosophical divisions for the Supreme Court to be packed. Based on what you heard, Judge Starr, last week in the testimony of Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson before the Senate Judiciary Committee, how might you describe her judicial philosophy, or is it too difficult at this point to ascertain that, given how little of a track record she's got and how it was pretty sparse to the extent to which it came up last week? Yes, I would say uncertain, sort of the Scottish uh, verdict not proved. We just don't know. And that's why it seems to me some of the senators, again, this is my point, too, or the second dimension of this pressing really hard on the child pornography cases, some of the issues involving education, the 1619 Project, critical race theory, and so forth, really pressing on that to try to get at who she is in terms of her mind. Where is she philosophically? Not necessarily on the <clears throat> Constitution per se, but is she a member of the progressive left? Uh, I think that's what those questions were going to. I, again, wish, and you saw the frustration, especially with uh, Senator Ben Sass, who was very respectful. I know there's been a criticism about the tone of some of the questions, but Senator Ben, Pat, ben Sass really wanted her to speak out in terms of the importance of free speech, freedom of the mind, free inquiry uh, that everyone should be able to agree to, and she was very reluctant to go there. So I can imagine that we're going to see a number of senators say, I just don't know. She chose. She's very winsome, very attractive uh, uh, story. America is a great country, but we just don't know enough. And I think we're going to hear a lot of that. Uh, just one more question on this topic, Judge Starr, and then I'll shift gears for one other thing real briefly. Uh, Andrew McCarthy writing in the National Review has expressed his Sort of exasperation about the Republicans missed opportunity with the hearings, focusing too much on the child pornography convictions and or rather the sentencing in those child pornography cases, noting, for example, that the judge is not a rubber stamp for the prosecutor and talking about some of the complexities in that decision making process and wishing, it seems, that that the Republicans last week in the Senate Judiciary Committee would have made more of a point of trying to get at and expose more of who, her judicial philosophy. How would you grade how the Republicans performed last week, setting aside the tone, but in terms of the substantive questions that they asked, do you think they missed the mark? We're on target. What is your thought? I think they tried. Uh, so they certainly get an A for, for effort. And they, I think, thought that the uh, child pornography cases <clears throat> could, in fact, yield some insights into her broader uh, philosophy. But I think uh, let's go back to what Senator Sass was. He, was. he was very frustrated, right? As I say, he was really trying to get her to say how committed she was in light of our constitutional order and the very nature of the democracy and the First Amendment, that she was committed to the idea of free speech, and she just wouldn't do it. So uh, I must say, she was very successful at evading the questions that did go purely to judicial philosophy. So it may not have been that uh, efficacious to have spent time in frustration, as illustrated again by Senator Sass. Actually, real quick, do you think she gets confirmed? 
Well, it looks that way in light of uh, the Nessus in your mansion. Uh, so it looks as if it may be a 50-50, but uh, there may be some Republican votes. It's uh, going to be yet another example of Supreme Court confirmations being very narrowly confirmed. Compare and contrast that to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, now a generation ago, to be sure, in 1993, getting over 90 votes in the Senate because she was superbly qualified. And the number of Republicans said, I don't agree with her judicial philosophy, but she's eminently qualified. We're long past that era. And finally, Judge Ken Starr, because I know we got to let you get on a boat in the bayou, which sounds like just such a fun experience <laughs> for you and your wonderful wife, Alice. I wanted to ask you about the calls now for Justice Clarence Thomas to recuse himself from any forthcoming cases that may arise regarding the 2020 election because of the discovery via the January 6th committee in the House of text messages between his wife, Jenny Thomas, and then chief of staff to President Donald Trump, Mark Meadows, regarding some election conspiracy claims. Uh, they've been old friends for some time um, in terms of uh, Jenny Thomas and, and Mark Meadows. So I'm curious, do you think that this rises to the level where if such a case were to arise that Justice Thomas should recuse himself? Uh, no, it's not necessary. You know, it is unfortunate, but uh, uh, obviously in some of the, the tone of uh, some of the emails are very strong. But that having been said, Justice Thomas is the one who has taken the oath to support and defend the Constitution. What his spouse does <laughs> is not relevant to his service as a justice. So it's uh, entirely appropriate for him just to use his judgment, which is the standard. The justice is used Unless there's a financial conflict and there's no suggestion of that, it is up to the justices' good judgment in what they will sit on and what they will not. So let's just see what Justice Thomas does if, and it's a big if, the issue arises. It will be fascinating to see if that happens and what he would decide, as well as what happens in the United States Senate. I think next week they're expected to vote on the confirmation of Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court. Judge Ken Starr, author again of the book, It Is a Must Read, Religious Liberty in Crisis, Exercising Your Faith in an Age of Uncertainty. Thank you so much for joining us, my friend, and have some fun on the bayou. Oh, thanks so much, Jimmy. You take care. Once again, Judge, ju- oh, sorry, I cut you off for a second. You were going to say something? Good. Uh, no, I just say so good to be with you, Jimmy. All the best. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Again, Judge Ken Starr joining us here on the program. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Peter Boyles. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back on the other side. Lots more to come. What are your thoughts? 303-696-1971. Should Judge Thomas recuse himself? How about the performance of Judge Jackson last week? Keep it right here. News Talk 710 KNUS. Isn't it? Should I stay or should I go? Good morning, Jimmy Sangenberger. In for Peter Boyles, who's decided it is indeed time to go. After decades in the radio business, right here in this Denver market, on Friday, it will be the last regularly scheduled broadcast of the Peter Boyles show. As he has made that decision, it is time to hang it up. After all these years and what a career he has led, 
I've got a column, my weekly column for Colorado politics. It'll be touching on Peter and talk radio in Denver. Be sure, please, to, to check that out. That'll come out tomorrow in Colorado politics. He has really shaped so much of this media landscape. It is remarkable. There aren't so I mean, how many people can you name, if there are any other than Peter, who have been long-time legacy-leading trailblazers in this market on the radio who are still broadcasting in the year 2022. It's remarkable when you think about it. And it's funny, too. I was reflecting a little bit. And, Bill, I, I think you'll appreciate this. The very first time that I actually ever talked to Peter was 2010. I was just a Regis University host, at the, or I think at that time I started at that point or about then filling in for a station up in, in Greeley, which was my first time doing AM radio. But I remember it was a it was a Wednesday morning. I was going to the Arapahoe County Republican Men's Club breakfast from Regis University. And I called in at the invitation of a, of a friend regarding Dan Mays, then candidate for governor, and this whole story regarding a burlap sack and how he was collecting money from donations from a burlap sack, and I had gone to a rally that he had where that happened and all of it. I don't remember all the specifics. I do have the audio uh, in one of my hard drives from that time period because I played it on my Regis show after I was on. I was like, I was on Peter Boyle's show, and so I'm going to play this on my Regis show. But it was looking back at 12 years ago almost and thinking about that era and what was going on in radio and what it was like and so forth. Of course, he wasn't here on KNUS at the time. That would be a few years later. But uh, really, it's one of those things when you have it, and you've worked with Peter for so many years, when you have that experience with a guy like Peter, you'll never forget that. It was the first time I ever talked to him. Here's what that condition was. Here's what was going on. Yeah, it's working with him has been something very, very unique. And uh, the first time I, like, I ended up working with him, it was working at the uh, uh, Clear Channel JCOR house at the time, and I was working, doing some things over on KOA, the competitor, and he's on KHOW at the time. And his producer, who's a really nice guy, had a real difficulty with showing up on time. So the first time they ever worked with Peter was the fact that his producer hadn't shown up, the show's about to start, and somebody's got to be on the board. And I have enough universal experience. I had run literally almost, you know, every single shift in every, you know, radio station they had at that point in one form or another. So I I said, okay. And so he's like, he's not here yet. And, you know, so I said, not a problem. Let's do this. Let's go down there. And, and he goes, okay, we're going to do this and this. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I had known his daughter for about two years before that. So it wasn't like the first time I had an interaction uh, with Peter Boyles, but sure. that was the first time that we worked together and, and it clicked. And then, yeah, he and I had some, had some fun, had some adventures. Uh, when his producer moved on, I moved into the chair and, and we did some really weird things. The, <laughs> the one that, and I don't know if we'll, what year was that? The oh, first year. God, 97, 98, 98 yeah, okay. ish. Yeah. It's gotta be 98. I'm thinking 98 more or less. I'm thinking um, the one and this is a I, I won't have time to tell this on the air Friday. So we'll spoil this right now. Um, one of the classic Peter Boyle's moments that I have is the idea of one book, one Denver. 
Uh, he basically started that genesis years and years ago where we would get the community of Denver together to read a book, and then we'd go through it on the air on his show, and then we'd bring the author into town, and there'd be you know a whole, a, a whole bunch of you know song and dance, and we'd do a bunch of stuff. And it was really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but the morning that Peter and I launched that on the air, station management had no idea we were doing it. We literally started a promotion on the air without the okay of management. And anybody who knows Peter goes, of course he's going to do that. (laughs) And and because the thing was is that he wanted to do this and he couldn't get any movement, you know, as quickly as he wanted from management on the process. They, they needed to go through, you know, can we talk about this and talk about that? They had a bunch of meetings planned. He wanted an answer like in 48 hours. They didn't give him an answer. And he's like, no, no, no. He goes, I know this is going to be a good thing. I know, we, I know we can make this big. I'm like, okay, but they haven't told us about this. He goes, screw them. And he got on the air yeah. and starts announcing it. And I'm like, wait, wait. And he's like, no, no, it'll be okay. And I'm like, oh, my God. And so I kept telling him, like, you don't have to answer the phone that keeps ringing with everybody higher up the food chain that keep asking me, what in the hell is he doing? It, it literally went from the promotions person to the assistant program director to the program director to the general manager, all within about 40 minutes, each one sequentially calling me and yelling at me. <laughs> I'm saying, what in the – is this man this doing? This doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah, and and I sat there. I'm like, "Do you understand?" He goes, he goes "Not in my." He goes, and he looks at me after one of the breaks. He took his headphones off, and he goes, "Not a lot they can do about it now, can they?" I'm like, damn. I'm like, okay, you're right, but seriously. <laughs> so so afterwards, we spent about an hour being yelled at by all the various you know powers at the station. But to his credit, at the end, he's like, "But is it a good idea?" So every time they go, "You shouldn't," blah blah, and he goes, "But is it a good idea?" And can we make money with it? I'm like, well, yeah. He goes, okay then. <laughs> so, yeah, like yeah. what's your what's your yeah. point? At the okay. end, that that was my first that that was kind of my first exposure to Peter Boyles and understanding how he talks about the filter of life and radio shows being professional wrestling mm. because mm. that is an on air shoot that is something that he just decided to go ahead and do, and the station executed it well. It became a staple in Denver for a number of years. It, it was gangbusters, far exceeded all of our he expectations. Knew it. He, yeah. His instinct said, yeah. "This is good. This yeah. is going to work." Let's do yeah. it. Let's get the ball and, rolling. Now and he no did that what. a lot. And he said there were days where he goes, he talked about those days in which there wasn't an overwhelming number one topic. You know, today we got, you know, Katanji Brown. We've got, uh, you know, the Will Smith slap. It's those days in when nothing is really that number one sh- um, show idea, but you can make a show out of something you read. He goes, those mm. are the days you earn your money. He goes, it's easy. He goes, when Russia invades Ukraine, anybody can do a radio show that day. That's obvious what you got to talk about. Because where you earn your money are on those days when there isn't an obvious topic, and can you make it this work? Is, this and he is, was brilliant. Th- listening to you describe this, this is the thing that I have learned, especially in recent months, about Peter Boyles. Yeah. Is that he really is a radio guy who understands the talk radio format through and through. There is nobody who gets it yeah. better than Peter Boyles, how to get the phone calls going, how to find a topic when you need to, how to approach the microphone on anything under the sun. That's Peter Boyles. Yeah. I mean, the, the classic thing that Pete and I always kept saying off the air was it's a radio show. You get it? I mean, that, that, that was kind of the point. Yeah. It, show. It's, it's a radio show. You know, we're not out here. We're not doing a college lecture series. Um, we are not trying to change the world. That, that's not the point. It's a radio show. And, and, and Pete and I always, um, off air, 
we talk a lot about coming back to the truisms, the real basics behind how the radio medium works. And if you understand how to use this medium, everything else kind of falls into place as far as how the chessboard should be laid out. But at the core, you have to understand what this medium is and how to use it. And Peter Mm -hmm. understood that backwards and forwards. There were times in which he'd come in. He's like, what about this? I'm like, you're crazy. And he goes, no, 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 no. He goes, just hear me out. Hear me out. We could do this and we do this and we do this. I'm like, damn, he's got something there. I'm like, okay, I see it. I see what you're doing. I see the vision. And then we'd spend about 10 or 15 minutes hashing it out to make sure that it was the right way to approach the topic. Mm. But again, there were times he'd pull it in. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. That, absolutely. That was, that was the show. That was the show for the day. Well, here's, here's the thing too. A uh, listener texted this in earlier, Bill. Suggestion. Can Peter post his ongoing book list somewhere? Oh, yeah. One thing I've always enjoyed is when he mentions a title or author would immediately read about the book and or actually read the book. That may be f- a fun connection to the godfather of Denver when he retires. I, I oh, want to say that. Well, I'll give you a second to uh, just yeah. a moment to explain what your what sort of the plan is for his book interviews but this the reason i'm reading this in this moment is how many radio talk show hosts could you think of who can come onto a radio show and talk about a book and interview book authors and it becomes such a staple but it is that entertainment it's not a lecture series on the book it is an entertaining radio show where part of what people are expecting at various points is you're gonna have a book You're going to have the author being interviewed by Peter, who's read the book, who does his homework, prolific reader, and that's a staple expectation of the audience. Yeah, here's the weird thing about this. In the larger universe of radio, especially talk radio, author interviews are not traditionally that valuable. They're not a needle mover. They don't attract a large audience. However, Peter is a unicorn. In this industry, because he understood how, again, we go back to, he understood how radio works. And he took his passion for reading and his passion for history and understood how to execute that on the air. And he made the author interview something phenomenally special because he got it. He understood that this is not a, quote, book club. All of us are not coming to the table with the same amount of information. But what work does he have to do in order to hold your hand and my hand and you're listening, your hand, and walk us through that book and make us feel like we've got something out of it? So much so that many times we would go out and purchase that book ourselves to go and read everything. That's what he understood. And the the key thing is that he was able to capture it in a way that – accentuated the show and the dynamic of a radio show so what's the what's the plan by the way i've got i i I get more work that's that's the plan bill gets more work um peter is going to be continuing the author interview series but we're switching it to um kind of the podcast it was originally the intention of the shoot but we're going to adapt that into really focusing on the authors because that is something that still gives him so much joy he's going to continue reading whether we allow him to walk through this door or not um so he graciously said he'd be more than willing once a week to come in here and tape an author interview with us. I've got the first three 
um, lined up already. We're going to lean a lot into some history. We've got the um, we've got a gold star uh, mother coming up that's going to be doing some stuff. It's really really neat. So there's some interesting stories that we're going to tell. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. uh, some things in the American Revolution. We've got an author on those. Um, some great things coming up. But that is going to be a podcast. But we will continue putting out Peter's book club on the. Um, on the website that you'll be able to see who the authors are and who's coming up. And there even is talk, I'm not in charge of this, I hope not, of maybe even giving away some of the books connected to some of those authors. But again, I hope I'm not in charge are of you, that. Are you now <laughs> floating this idea live on the air <laughs> no, and it's going to have to happen? We've talked about it behind the scenes. <laughs> uh, Luckily, go. we've talked about it behind the scenes and go. it was pitched by other people. Yeah. And and I'm like, I, I hope I don't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just... I'll just one one final uh, sort of memory in regards to, to Peter Boyles. It was the first time that I had ever met him. So when he was moving over here to KNUS in July of 2013, he wasn't able to go on the air for a couple of days. It took a couple of days yeah. more. Yeah. Um, Contracts and, and yeah, lawyers. All, all, that, <laughs> yeah. all that stuff. So who was asked the night before, like, I don't know, I got a call from Kelly Michaels, 7 o'clock p.m. or something. Hey, uh, we need you to fill in and host uh, Monday morning because yeah. Peter's not ready. Yet. Yeah. That host was the, me. Yeah, host host the show that doesn't exist yet. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. So, and, and what I love too. So, I we did two days where I sat in this chair and hosted. And boy, oh boy, like we didn't take calls because everybody was off the air calling saying. Where's Peter? What's going on here? And so I had to just keep things going with this audience. I was like, you know, tuned in, enthused to to hear Peter and, yeah. and Kelly Michaels, our, our program director, operations manager, uh, had a, a harmonica based theme song for the top of every hour, and I was just like, okay, that's perfect for me. And then that Wednesday, Peter's ready to go, but we had some fun, and and there's no recording of it. Unfortunately, oh, no. there were audio issues back. They they weren't able to record. I think the first week of shows or something. And the first voice that was heard was me. I started talking as oh, though nice. I was hosting, and then Peter was like, "Yeah, you know, I'm here, you know, that kind of thing." And oh, it yeah. was it was a lot of fun. The professional that, wrestling of the yeah. Those the are my those yeah. were my first few days where I had any encounters with with Peter, and that was uh, what a what a memory to have yeah. to be sure, especially and, given how in almost nine years. Would be nine years this coming July for his program. Uh, to to think about that passage of time and what's happened and the evolution and where everyone is at in terms of this audience, in terms of Peter Boyles and his legacy and everything he has brought to the Denver radio market. And here you go, listener email. In this age. When no one reads real books anymore, Peter Boyles is truly, I guess the leaving of Peter Boyles, is truly a loss to the radio media. This is why the books discussions will continue, the author interviews with Peter, because that is a staple, one of the big staples of this program and the legendary host of it. Peter Boyles. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. This morning I have the honor one last time of filling in for Peter Boyles, who again will be broadcasting his final show this coming Friday, April Fool, April 1st. No April Fool's joke to that. It is really happening. It will happen at the View House live. Again, sold out tickets, but you can listen online. It's going to be appointment radio. Do not miss it. 
What are your thoughts on the life and legacy of Peter Boyles as he bids his farewell this Friday? If you want to talk about that, feel free to give a call at 303-696-1971. I've got a couple of follow-up thoughts as I want to get back to Ketanji Brown-Jackson and her nomination for the Supreme Court vis-a-vis my interview with Judge Ken Starr in the last segment about that very topic. Plus, Biden is now proposing a billionaire's tax. Really? That's really going to help the struggling economy right now. We'll talk about that. And is he walking things back or isn't he? As we continue, Jimmy Sangenberger in for Peter Boyles here on News Talk 710 KNUS. For Peter Boyles, one last time this morning, News Talk 710 KNUS before his final show this Friday. And folks, I have just been informed I was talking in the last segment about the first time I uh, was, well, Peter's first show. I was actually the first voice that was heard, and I told that story. Apparently, there actually is, the recording is out there. I, 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 wow, it's been discovered. We may pull a a little bit of that uh, audio. Coming up here in a little bit. That should be interesting. But it is that time of the morning where we check in with our friends at Alpine Planning Group. And we've got Brian Gray joining us this morning. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Hey, good morning, Jimmy. That's why you always got to be careful what you say because they can always get a recording. I know. I forgot. (laughs) Uh, Actually, I think it was the two shows where it was before Peter's first show and it was me and they didn't, which makes sense. I was chopped liver. So why would you worry about that? As long as it was ready for his first show, you're good. (laughs) All right. We'll look forward to it on Friday. Hey, uh, let's take a look at these markets real quick. We got everything in the green. Got the Dow currently up 370 points, NASDAQ's up 181, and the S&P's up almost 40. The Dow and the S&P, we're looking for a uh, four-day winning streak here, potentially, so we want to keep an eye on that. Uh, we still got all the signals flashing for a recession. Now, this is back-to-back uh, or two quarters of lower productivity, so we want to keep an eye on that. All of this is being driven, and we really saw it come to light uh, about the last three, four hours of trading yesterday. That's Russian and Ukraine talking. I'm not sure if it's a ceasefire piece, what have you, but at least the two two countries are talking, and that's kind of moving the market in the right direction. The FedEx founder, Fred Smith, he announced, uh, I mean, he's an icon. He announced that he's going to be stepping down as CEO of FedEx. And, you know, Jimmy, we don't hear as much, or at least we haven't the past week or so, about oil and gas. So, you know, with so many things going on in the world, whether it's uh, with our president, whether it's uh, overseas with the uh uh, the conflicts with war, um, you know, there's just a lot of topics out there, and we always tell people keep the seatbelt on. You gotta, you gotta be careful. You don't want to panic. And if you have any questions, give Alpine Planning Group a call. We'd love to sit down with you. Absolutely. Well, Alpine Planning Group is a comprehensive financial planning firm committed to improving your long-term financial success. 
Investing is a matter of trust, and they are prepared to earn yours. Call them today at 303-843-0918. That's 303-843-0918. Thank you, Brian. We'll check in with you tomorrow. All right. Sounds good. See you. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA SIPC and registered investment advisor. Alpine Planning Group and Woodbury Financial Services, Inc. are not affiliated entities. 14 West Dry Creek Circle, Littleton, Colorado, 80120. Once again, Jimmy Sangenberger in for Peter Boyles this morning. News Talk 710 KNUS. Alexa with a very nice text here. So many great stories Peter covered. I like the DIA scandal where the, loco- lo- the, quote, the location of DIA moved overnight. And coincidentally, Pena's friends happened to have recently bought the land needed. Also, the scandal involving ICE agent Corey Voorhees, I remember that one, and the BS Ritter pulled. And who can forget the Roy Romer and B.J. Thornberry scandal? Peter always said she had the most appropriate name one of those things that you know about peter is he will delve deep into a story and that may include covering it week after week after week after week after week after week week and you get the idea Uh, maybe that's one of the things look i i started sort of finding my way in investigative journalism in a way i never really had thought but tay anderson brought me in that trajectory and I, I, I'm speculating here, but it's from what I hear, it, it seems like that's something that uh, Peter really grew to appreciate, which I appreciate very much, especially from somebody who knows how that work is done, asking the right questions, getting into that investigative mode. And when you look at radio and you look at the many things in talk radio in particular, the many different aspects of it. Peter has run the gamut. And now, of course, he also was was a traffic reporter, DJ, all, all that before becoming a talk show host. But once you become a talk show host and you realize that there are a lot of different dynamics, we talked about the books earlier, the news of the day or coming up with just a, a topic. If you don't have the breaking news, how do you, quote, fill the time, but do so in a way that, as Bill said earlier, earns you the money? Those are the things that you really learn from that experience, the kind of exceptional experience and know-how that Peter Boyles always had a knack for. And when you are in broadcasting as a broadcaster, I look at this from a perspective of I love broadcasting myself. And so to see somebody like Peter have that life legacy and career that paved the way that was really a trailblazer for the rest of us, that shows us how to do it, you you can't help but sit back and just watch and admire and think, you know, there's a lot here to learn from. There's a lot to learn from to get better, to know how to do better, and to be more effective as well from a communication and entertainment vantage point. That's where this all comes together. 303-696-1971, our telephone number if you'd like to join in to the festivities. Quick thought on Ketanji Brown-Jackson, who we talked about with Judge Ken Starr earlier in the hour. And if you missed that interview, definitely want to check out the podcast. It was a great conversation, excellent insights from 
Judge Starr. I do tend to agree a little bit with Andrew McCarthy of the National Review, who knows what he's talking about in the law, that the Republicans generally or to a strong extent missed the moment. They kept talking about the same topics that didn't really get at the core ideas of judicial philosophy that you need to understand for a Supreme Court justice, especially one with no track record, with such a thin paper trail on anything like that as Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson has. And that would have provided what McCarthy calls the right reason to oppose Judge Jackson. Now, when we look at her appointment, I would be a no vote because I don't feel confident in any way, shape, or form in her judicial philosophy and how she would approach the bench. That comes from me having an originalist philosophy. I think we need to look at the Constitution as it is written, as it was meant to be understood, not as judges would like it to mean, and make it so out of whole cloth. Now, that's more complicated than just saying it. It's easier, more easily said than done. But it's true, I think. And I think it's the essence of what we need to be looking for in a Supreme Court justice. And I would like to see more of that from the Republicans in any future nominations by Democrats, especially if you have such a thin paper trail. But will she get confirmed? Yes. And my guess is she will have two or three Republicans, including Mitt Romney, who will vote for her nomination. Uh, for Biden to have his pick confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Do you think Republicans approached it right? Do you accept the prospect of Ketanji Brown-Jackson joining the Supreme Court with her lackluster or lacking judicial philosophy? And then Biden. Because it's ridiculous. Nobody believes we're going to take down. I I was talking about taking down Putin. Nobody believes that. Really? Huh. Sounded like he said that. For God's sake, this man cannot remain power. Does he even know what he's saying? Does he even remember what he said five minutes before? Huh. We'll try and sort through that one. 303-696-1971. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger in for Peter Boyles all morning till 10 o'clock here on News Talk 710-KNUS. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.